Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity. You can Google all day long, check Wikipedia. But if you're looking for the answer, well, you better look up above. Jesus is the answer. He's the way to go. We are all God's children. The Bible tells us so. If we want to come together, let's do it on our faith. And let's all join hands with Jesus before it is too late. Stop the killing in the streets. Let's join at Jesus' feet. Stop the prejudice Let's turn to the Prince of Peace To take color from our eyes And to help us unify If violence is the cancer Jesus is the answer If violence is the cancer Jesus is the answer You can check it out on Snopes School yourself on all the facts But if you want the real solution, Jesus is where it's at. Jesus came in love, and he died to save our souls. Hate is sin from Satan, division is all he knows. If you want to claim the victory, stop all this racial hate. Let's all join hands at Calvary, put the devil back in his place. Let's join at Jesus' feet to stop the prejudice. Let's turn to the Prince of Peace. Take color from our eyes and to help us unify. If violence is the cancer, Jesus is the answer. If violence is the cancer, Jesus is the answer.
Now, how awesome is that? Kay and Ron Rivoli, you guys out in the radio audience, and I have to confess, the live audience got to hear it first, a little bit before we went on air, but uh, Kay and Ron Rivoli's Jesus is the only answer. Uh, really, really awesome. I happen to know both of them personally. They're wonderful people, amazing people of faith, and amazing patriots, and uh, they're down in Daytona, Florida, but they travel all over the country. They had a show. We were just talking about their show in Branson, Missouri. They're really, really top-notch, so I would encourage you to go over and listen to that. Um, what a privilege it was when I was on my book tour to meet them. And, of course, as soon as you meet them, you can't, you absolutely cannot help but to love them. And you might say, well, uh, you know, basically, uh, thank you, by the way. There's got some folks connecting from Switzerland. Oh, that's cool. I don't know how you're understanding me, but I guess smart people. Somebody just said, Ricola. <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, all that said to say this. Hey, by the way, you can go to, we always are appreciative of, of all the people all over the country and all over the world that listen to this broadcast. Who would have ever thought, right? And uh, our view here, if you ever are in the Delaware, Maryland, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, um, I guess that's right, Delaware, Maryland, Pennsylvania, New Jersey. We've had people come from just outside of Washington, D.C. Had somebody here one time from Japan. We've had my good buddy Dave Peterson. He came, drove all the way 11 hours or 13 hours from uh, Tennessee. It's such an honor. It's really cool. And everything I said, he just wanted to see if it was true. Are these people as awesome as you say? And, and of course, he knew right away. Yep, sure was. Is the food as good as I say? And I, yep, sure is. So, anyhow, we love it. It's all good stuff. We have a world traveler just back. Good to have you back, Bonnie, from Ireland and Scotland. So uh, what a wonderful place to be. And so we're just we're glad to have everybody here. There's some here that aren't here with us live, and we, we'll be looking forward to you joining us again. So some people are asking in the messages, uh, what was the connection of the song to the topic? Nothing at all. You're welcome. There's no connection at all other than you had the opportunity. Really, my radio audience on Wednesday, you know, we do a show called The Collision of Faith and Politics on Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can learn more about that. By the way, chat's open. You can learn more about that show at drshawngreener.com. But um, there's all kinds. There's, I don't know, hundreds and hundreds of hours of free stuff there, several free uh, e-books, and we're working on other e-books right now. Um, so, you know, it's just fun stuff. and. You can join up the list, and it's pretty cool, pretty cool stuff, if I might say so myself. So anyway, some people are saying, well, why would you play it? Why would you play that song? Before our message is the truth in Torah, anti-Semitism? Question mark. Anti-Semitism? I contend, and I wasn't always in this place, but I contend that, and this is just Dr. Sean contending. This is not, I'm not speaking for the group here, uh, although I know many would agree. Um, there's a lot of anti-Semitism in our history as a church. The greats, uh, Martin Luther, Calvin, many others, uh, very, very uh, vehement anti-Semites. They hated the Jews more than you can imagine. And so, sadly, a lot of their anti-Semitism really bled over into how the Bible was translated, how uh, different things were represented. And, and so that is unfortunate, sad. But uh, my goal always is, in the littlest way that I can, uh, is to, or the little way that I can, is to try to correct some of that and help all of us, because my thinking has had to have been corrected over the years. I'm going to reference a couple of things. Uh, 
today's word, I'm going to reference today's word, today's word. If you do, uh, if you, uh, you know, search it on the search engine, you search Dr. Skip Moen and today's word, you'll be taken to his website. Uh, phenomenal website. How many here get today's word, a word a day? Absolutely phenomenal, isn't it? Uh, well, Dr. Moen is an Oxford PhD. He, uh, he happens to also be one of my professors, uh, both in my undergrad, grad, and postgrad work, and currently now in the doctorate I'm working on now. Uh, he's very, very difficult. And those who listened last week, if you want to listen to last week's show, just go to drshawngreener.com or the ninjapastor.com, go over to listen, click on the last one, and uh, the truth and Torah, it starts with uh, the truth and Torah, and then click on that first one, you'll hear the first one. Um, so I'm going to reference uh, some of Dr. Moen's writings. They're, they're pretty short. Uh, not all of his writings are real, real short, but this one I think is really powerful. All of this stuff is really powerful. It'll twist your brain. And when most people hear some of this stuff, they really recoil. Uh, some of you here reacted uh, in a way that wasn't a shock to me, but you were kind of shocked, you know, when I first started speaking some of the stuff. It's not just Dr. Moen stuff, but other stuff too, other people that, that I uh, have an appreciation for, for what they do. Um, people, you, some people used to freak out, you know, they would start to hear some of the things I would preach about, some of the things I would say, uh, and some of the things I would relate to them, the truths I would relate to them, and they would say, you know, I, I just don't think I can believe you. And I said, that's okay. You don't have to believe me. I've never, ever been in a place where I said, look, you know, if you don't believe me, you just get out. Um, it's all about learning. And, and for me personally, this has been a, a really challenging process that started probably uh, probably a couple decades ago, really and truly. And then when I first started going to master's, my thinking was really, really challenged. And, and, uh, and so I, I loved and hated what it was doing to my the tenets of my faith, if you will, the foundations of my faith. All that said to say this, the truth in Torah, anti-Semitism, right? This is a follow-up to uh, last week. You know, I didn't get through everything last week. Um, but I have to say, I think this is an important, uh, important one. This is a very important piece to the puzzle. Um, I don't know how many mechanics we have out there. Hey, welcome to Alaska, by the way. We're so glad to have you. Um, I don't know how many mechanics or former mechanics we have out there. I, knew, I do know that we have an aircraft mechanic, a guy who works on uh, aircraft engines. He, he works on them all, small, medium, and large. And I know your tools, knowing where your tools are from being in the Navy. I remember all the Navy uh, repair people. They would always have real close eye on their tools. Why? Because you don't want to leave a tool behind. Let's say you're, climb, you're 13 feet into a uh, jet engine. And, you know, it's not fun to be inside of a jet engine. I'm just saying, I've seen guys do it, and it's not for me. But uh, they climb in there and, and, and everything, and they have a special way to carry their tools in and a special way to carry their tools out. Well, if there's a wrench, a sprocket, anything, that's FOD. It's called Foreign Object Damage, uh, Foreign Object Debris. It's, it's, it could be on a – we used to do FOD walk-downs. I wasn't on a carrier very much. But on the aircraft carriers where the aircraft land and take off, you do a FOD walk-down. And you look all in a line, walk from one end to the flight deck to the other, and you look for the smallest piece of anything because it can get sucked up into those jets. Well, these guys climb into the jets, into the motors, and fix them. They climb into them and fix them sometimes. It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. We have a, a, an actual aircraft fireman here, a military fireman here. And, um, you know, it's really, really important to know where your stuff is. You don't want to leave anything behind. Well, your tools, your tools for us, as a Christian, we don't want to leave Scripture 
behind. A lot of times we'll leave Scripture behind. And by that, I, this is what I mean by that. Um, we leave bits and pieces behind because they're the harder parts for us to deal with, the harder parts for us to keep up with. They're the tools that we leave behind. We leave them in the engine. The engine of our faith is is our faith in God and in, uh, in all of what is embodied by God, Hashem. And so what what we have to realize is, and, and I, I was just talking to somebody this week, and it did strike me strange, a uh, real church-going person, a uh, real he- heavy influence in church, and that person uh, told me that at my church, we don't even have the uh, Old Testament in the Pew Bibles. We just have New Testaments in the Pew Bibles. And so we tell people, uh, missing a screw, you lose your job. That's right. That's right. That's right. We have somebody on right now that uh, that actually did that job, Look, looking for the parts. You know, you, you lose anything, anything, even a screw. Can you imagine? Such a small thing, right? Well, we're going to talk about how such a small thing can make a difference. What do I say all the time? Little things don't mean a lot. They mean everything. All right, Matthew five seventeen through 20, just for fun. Uh, complete Jewish Bible. Don't think that I have come to abolish the Torah or the prophets. I have come not to abolish, but to complete. Yes, indeed, I tell you that until heaven and earth pass away, not so much as a youth or a stroke will pass from the Torah, not until everything that must happen has happened. So whoever disobeys the least of these mitzvot and teaches others to do so will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever obeys them and so teaches... And so teachers will be called great in heaven, in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness is far greater than that of the Torah teachers and Prushim, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, those words, you can't see them here, but um, those words are actually in red in most Bibles. Why? Because they were spoken by Yeshua. So we stopped here um, the last few weeks, just before here. And again, I just want to remind you, uh, you can go to drshawngreener.com, D-R-S-H-A-W-N-G-R-E-E-N-E-R, or theninjapastor.com, theninjapastor.com. Follow me on at the Ninja Pastor and on Facebook, all that stuff. So to be anti-Torah is to be anti-Messiah and anti-Jew. That's a powerful statement, isn't it? How many in here in the live audience, I guess we can't really tell uh, over over the air, but how many in the live audience here believe that to be a true statement? To be anti-Torah is to be anti-Messiah and anti-Jew. Obviously, if everybody had a microphone, I, I would love to ask that, you know, well, why do you feel that way? Thank you, Doyle, by the way. Why do you feel that way? Uh, you know, and, and others and say, well, why, you know, there was some hands raised and some hands not raised. For some, the reason they didn't raise their hands is they don't want to be called on. And so, uh, but for others, they don't know the answer. Um, have you ever been in a situation where you were being asked questions or, or questions were being asked? It was a learning place. It was a learning situation. And uh, you you didn't want to speak up because you were embarrassed. You didn't you didn't want to speak up. Maybe you maybe you knew the answer. Maybe you were the person who in class knew all the answers, but you know what? You never raised your hand. The teacher never viewed you as an extremely bright student, except they would see a glimmer on the test, right? During the test they would go, Wow, hundreds every time. Smart, smart kid never speaks up. They know all the answers. Why don't they raise their hand? 
Different people don't answer. Different people don't raise their hand for different reasons. Fair enough. Is that fair enough? Is that a fair enough thing? I've taught classes at the collegiate level and, and a Bible college and all these different things, and, and I've taught little kids, and, and I, I've learned that people don't answer questions for a myriad of reasons. Sometimes they don't answer the question because the instructor makes them or the professor or teacher makes them to feel or contributes to them feeling a little intimidated. Maybe they feel like, wow, I don't want to not get the answer right. Gee, if everybody else knows the answer and I don't know the answer, that is the obvious conclusion that I am stupid. Or I didn't study. Or the other answer could be I'm just intimidated by any school situations. Anything like this, I'm intimidated by them. I don't like to, I don't like to be in this situation. You know, I have two really uh, great friends. That's it. That's all I have in the whole world. Just kidding. But apparently that's nobody laughed at that joke. I have only two good friends. No, here's the thing. One of my great friends just left. Uh, he's in South Carolina right now. His name is Mark Hur. He founded the Center for Self-Governance, him and uh, several other great patriots. And Mark is always sharing with me. He always stays at my house when he comes to do this this run uh, in this part of the Mid-Atlantic. He stays at our house. And he's literally our favorite house guest. He's just a wonderful guy. He's grown to be a great brother and friend. And a great uh, his knowledge of Scripture is his knowledge of basically everything. It's pretty mind-boggling. But Mark, um, whenever he's here, what he does is he sows into us and sows into me. A lot of times we have personal one-on-one conversations, and he tells me stuff that's in his head. And it's really, really high-level stuff. It's really, really powerful stuff. And some of it I retain, and some of it I go, ooh, I don't know, man. I just That's so far above my head. Um, brain injury or not, I mean, the guy's just a really smart guy. Well, Dr. Moen, Dr. Moen, when I sat under his teaching, and I still sit under teaching today, um, it was that kind of thing whew, right over my head, right? The first, I don't know, eight, nine, 30 times, uh, it was over my head. But the more you dig, the more you dig, the more you dig, the more you realize you prepare yourself. So some people sit in the chair, and they don't raise their hand ever. They even try to adopt this sort of blank face that's saying, don't call on me, don't call on me, don't call on me, don't call on me. You know, that's what happens, right? We have some teachers in the room. We just had another teacher walk in, our, our great violinist. You guys miss out if in the radio audience if you're in this area, you got to come. Great food, great music. It's an awesome time. We have a blast here. This is a one-of-a-kind group. So all that said to say this, a statement like to be anti-Torah is to be anti-Messiah or anti-Jew, that statement made in a vacuum, just no other information would really be tough, wouldn't it? That would be a tough statement to make. A lot of people throw rocks at me, uh, metaphorically, of course, um, because they say, you know, that's a little bit heretical. But heresy, uh, it, what is heresy? Who knows what heresy is? Anybody know what to be heretical is? We got usual, there you go. Jerry, Jerry answered, and he doesn't even, he's not even in my notes. He says, anti my understanding of the Bible. Well, there you have it. That's what people, and people will call heretical, it's preference. It becomes preference. Heresy becomes preference when you don't know the actual thing. Um, one of the things I lost in my crash uh, and my subsequent brain injury was I lost my learned language. I knew a pretty fair amount of Russian uh, uh, and, a, and a fair amount of Hebrew. And unfortunately, my, my learned languages uh, are such that I just don't remember very much of them. I have to relearn and relearn and relearn all the time. It's just a, that part of your brain, there's a special part of your brain that enables you to learn that stuff. Uh, so, so I remember, I remember until I started reading the real thing, the Hebrew words, and then understanding the Hebrew context and culture, I, when I first started reading and I thought, what, what, that was my safe word, what, 
you know? I couldn't, uh, I couldn't, I'm not going to advertise that movie, but it's actually, what is that movie called, Doyle? What is it? Hot Rod. You guys ever see that movie? It's the stupidest movie ever, but it made me laugh. And their safe word, they had a safe word, which was W-H-I-S-K-E-Y. Because somewhere along the line, this guy learned that whenever there's a W-H, you say, you do it like that, right? So, so he learned that. So to him, that's how you pronounced it. And the other guys are saying, well, why are you saying it like that? He goes, saying it like what? And because uh, he always thought that's how it is, right? That's the word. That's how he thought. That's how he was taught. We're taught, and then we think that, and then that's how we thought. As we go through life, this is just what gets into us. So when I first started reading the Hebrew and hearing the Hebrew taught, I thought, ooh, this is a mind bender here. There's some stuff, different stuff. And then I started to learn a book that really changed my life was the land and culture of the Bible, the people of the land and the land of the people. Uh, I had a course that was based on that. Oh, whoa. I started learning these things that the Jews then did. And then I, wait a second, hold on. This is how the land was? And then I started to say, okay, so this is why this commandment happened this way or this Bible story happened here. Guess what? It could have only happened here because this is the only place in all of the lands that were being spoken of that time, at that time in, in scripture where it could have happened so you start to listen to those things start to see those things start to experience sort of a shift a paradigm shift so people a lot of times say well you just want to be a jew you're a frustrated christian i'm a follower of the way and guess what guess what our origin is judaism right we all came from judaism so i had a lady on uh, social media she said and she's a very nice lady she listens to the show she listens. I don't see if she's listening here. Um, she listens from Philippines, and she speaks many languages. She's very, very smart, and Lynn is is just an absolutely amazing person. But she she really does believe, and God bless her. You know, she believes very firmly and very strongly. She really believes certain things, and if you vary from those certain things, um, you're a heretic. It's just in her mind. She's very strong that way. And I always try to gently, you know, she'll very respectfully ask me questions. And after every message, I usually get nine or ten emails from her. And, and I'll try to answer them as respectfully as I can. But what's funny is those questions help me to structure my message so that I know what would what gets peaked. What gets peaked in somebody's mind? What would What would happen if I say this? What are they going to think? What do I want them to think? And that's what I want. I want you to think. But I don't want you to just take my word for stuff. I want you to research it. So I always give Lynn, she's two first names, Lynn Lynn. Uh, I, send, I send her links. And I say, boom, you know, make sure you sign up. Make a contribution to today's word, uh, word a day. You'll love it, blah, blah, blah. You know, sign up for my website. You know, we'll keep you, we'll keep you educated. No problem at all. But you know what's funny is you say a statement like to be anti-Taurus, to be anti-Messiah and anti-Jew, then you have a lot of people who would say, and if I were to go to any church in this country, I guarantee you I go to any church, average, regular, you know, regular church in this country, and I said that statement to be anti-Taurus, to be anti-Messiah and anti-Jew, they would immediately recoil because the first part, the anti, they would be very offended by the anti-Torah. So in other words, I'm saying you should do Torah. And that is to be anti-Messiah. If you're anti-Torah, you're anti-Messiah. Well, then they really are mad because the whole church nowadays, everything is based on Jesus, right? Jesus Christ. We plead the blood of Jesus over everything. We say the name of Jesus. All we have to do when we're in trouble is say Jesus, 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 just the very name. 
uh, not his actual name. It's Yeshua, but that's okay. He knows who you're talking about. Uh, and so they, but they believe this. They believe us if we say these things. And I did too. I did too. And originally, if I were to hear a statement like that, you catch me, I don't know, about eight, nine, ten years ago, to be anti-Torah is to be anti-Messiah. As soon as you said that, I would have tuned you out. I said, we done, we out. You say stuff like that, guess what? I'm checking out on you. I am checking out on you. Because I used to think Torah, keeping Torah, Torah observant Jew, was doing it so everybody could see, right? We want, to, we want you to see how observant we are, how obedient we are, how good a Jew we are. Christians have their own version of Torah, do we not? Right? We have certain haircuts, although now I don't even understand the hair now with Christians. Like if you go to some of the Christian universities around the country, you know, you got guys with long hair. Uh, what do you call those things on the top, the man buns? You got the man buns. You got, you know, you, you got guys. Yeah, he says, I'm just jealous. I can't grow it. My son says. Uh, so so then we got the guys in the, uh, what do they call those things that come down in the middle of girls' shins? What are those things called? Capris. Men are wearing capris on campus. Now, I know of a couple of, of uh, Christian high schools in, by the way, this Wednesday, you're in luck. Uh, Dr. Turley is going to be on. Of all the articles you've heard us talk about, this one is going to rock your world. I can't believe he wrote this, but he did. And I can't wait to talk to him. So at 4 o'clock uh, on Wednesday, 4 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, that's going to be a lot of fun. I'm going to have a couple other little surprises for you. So anyway, my point is, is, as I've traveled around to different schools in the state where I live in other states, I see the dudes there, right, the kids, the students, and they, they're all, first of all, I don't know where all the dieting happened at a young age, but when I was a young kid, I was skinny as a rail, but I ate everything in sight, man. I ate anything didn't eat me first. So, uh, but I was skinny. I wanted, to, I wanted to bulk up, and I tried to eat everything I could, but the fact of the matter is I just couldn't gain weight. Well, now that's kind of the thing is to be skinny on these, these Christian schoolboys, and they, uh, there's actually one school, they actually, the boys hold hands. What are we, in Japan? They hold hands. Yeah, 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 it's weird. They hug each other, not like, like a dude hug, like, you know, like, love you, man, you know. It's I love you. I love you, too. Yeah, it's just weird. It's very effeminate. It's very weak. can't ever depend on people like that to protect you in a bad situation or to be on your side. You really would like them to be somewhere totally else. So very effeminate. For whatever reason, we're just, we're just being like that. So those people would hear this, right? And, and I'm saying Christians, Christians have their own version of Torah. We've got the haircuts. Now it's changing. Ours changes. Christians, we're allowed to change our Torah, right? We just, we change it. We change our stuff. Well, okay, the haircuts used to be really short on the side. Uh, sorry, radio, I wanted to just bump my microphone. Um, really short on the side. The buzz cut is, you're a best Christian, really, you're the best Christian. If you buzz cut your hair on the side, which, of course, I did. And then keep it real nice and short on the top. You want to have a shirt with a collar, always, you know, pressed is you're the better Christian if it's pressed. And then, and then dress pants and a nice belt. The belt has which? What's the belt match? The shoes? Belts match the shoes. You have them some nice, you know, right? If you have glasses, match your glasses. Uh, that's the first I've heard of that. I'm in deep trouble now. So, leave it to Jerry. You know, he's always that one step more. So, so we had our own kind of view of Torah. What are some of the things we weren't supposed to do? Right? Uh, I'm going back a few years now. When I was a kid, because I grew up in an independent, fundamental, Bible-believing, King James-only version, uh, authorized version. Old school, blah, blah, blah. Did the, did the Eagles just score? Yeah, I could just tell. I could just tell. I could tell that. <laughs> Not very transparent. So, 
So anyway, so we have this. We, we have the things that we do. We have certain words that we say. Christians have our own version of Torah. We have our own words. We have other things. So I go back a few years. So you had to look a certain part. What else did you have to do? You had to, you had to talk a certain way. You had to use certain words. But you also could not use other words. Our, our, our version of Torah was you couldn't say darn. I grew up that way. You couldn't say darn. You could not say darn. My substitution was, because I was a country boy, was dadgum. Dadgum. Dadgum it. You know, I had a dear friend of mine one time, and she said, God bless her soul, uh, Mama Max. She would say, well, now, John Brown it. I would say, what in the world? She goes, there's no way you can confuse that first swear word. So, so you know, we weren't allowed to say certain things, and that, so that was good. And then other stuff that we were supposed to do, there's a whole long, I won't go through the whole long list. But there was other stuff that we were supposed to do. But you know what? Growing up, one thing, as Christians, I was never convicted. Hey, don't eat crabs, those delicious things from the mud. Don't eat those things. Don't eat, don't eat oysters. Don't eat clams. Don't eat flounder. To, to some degree, I would even say, uh, you, you know, don't eat any kind of bacon. Don't eat any kind of uh, – and deer, I think deer, deer actually, technically speaking, would be forbidden by Torah. But so because of the way their hoof is. But here's the thing. I never grew up that way. Why? Because I grew up in a place where, you know, down the shore, we that's what we ate. That was our food. That's what we grew up knowing was food. Plus, Christians, when I grew up, you know, it was more of a New Testament type of deal. And the age of grace was, was replaced the age of the law. And we called the law Torah. And we said that, you know, all these 613 laws, well, they're they're done away with. We don't need those laws. Those were for the Jews. That's over with. That's done. And that even was part of their Torah, part of my Torah back then, is that rejection of our foundation. And I would say most people in here, unless you were raised in a Jewish home, an observant Jewish home, probably experienced, if you were raised in a church home, you probably experienced a lot of the same things. Anyway, all that said to say this, Torah is by no means a relic of long, a long irrelevant Time, long since irrelevant time. It is absolutely not. People say that's so long ago. That's that's just so old. In fact, as many falsely believe, the age of grace superseded the age of the law. How many times have you heard that? Right? The age of grace that that superseded the age of the law. And this errant belief is based upon the mistranslation at times, totally by mistake. Listen, I don't think that some of these people mistranslated a lot of the stuff that they did. Huge chunks of scripture huge example they didn't even listen these people didn't even understand the idiomatic language the phenomenal capital p the phenomenal hebrew language they didn't understand the phenomenal hebrew language and they didn't understand idiom because idiom to the translators what is idiom is that a big deal yes it's a really big deal there's 19 different ways to say one thing with only a variance of a few letters in the Hebrew language. There's a place where you say certain things one way and a place where you say other things another way. And the difference is one or two strokes of the pen. And it can mean a totally different thing. So, wow. Wow, that's a big deal. So maybe those translators, many of them, most of them will say, they translated it incorrectly by accident. They didn't mean, I can't believe anybody's cold. Anybody else in here cold? We got people in flannel shirts. I'm just about to open up a window up here. So, um, 
Anyways, that's a country boy coming out of me, isn't it? I'm a farmer, farmer type, allegedly. I lived on a farm. I didn't actually farm, but I would have loved to have farmed. That's that's one of the most, in my opinion, that's one of the most honorable professions. Boy, isn't it? That's of God. Boy, when you farm, you grow food. That is of God. So so let me just say this. Uh, some of the people translating the scriptures that we hold in our hands today did it totally by mistake. They just didn't know. They didn't have the broad enough knowledge. They didn't have the cultural, the worldview, any of these things, the language. They didn't have that down. They just didn't have it down. So, so a lot of times I'm going to give them a pass and say that's totally by mistake. But you know what? Sometimes. Sometimes those scriptures were translated the way that they were because those handling the scriptures and the translation hated Jews. Now, you don't think that could happen? It absolutely has happened throughout the ages, and some of the anti-Semitism came from the most unlikely of places. And again, I'll say this one more time. I teach all over the United States, and I use this powerful premise over and over and over. Little things don't mean a lot, no. Little things mean everything. Little things like one simple word mistranslated or misdefined or in some way anachronistically applied can completely change the meaning of a passage of Scripture. You remember last week, if you weren't here, you didn't listen, I gave a word that uh, Dr. Durham, one of the great people at at Masters and a good friend of mine, Dr. Durham gave me an example of that, trying to help me understand a a passage or a part of a requirement. um, What do they call that? There's a fancy academic name for it, but there's a requirement I have to do before I can dig into the course. Uh, A what? Prerequisite. Yes, thank you very much. And so... She she was helping me with this, and she gave me a word. Well, guess what? That word in Greek was mistranslated from Hebrew. That word in Greek meant something that could not have applied because it didn't exist at the time. Who has seen Blazing Saddles? Mel Brooks, comedic genius, right, 90 years old? Comedic genius. There's no doubt about it. Any, who in here has seen Blazing Saddles and does not think it's funny? Right? You watch Blazing Saddles, you laugh your head off. I've watched it probably 100 times. It's hilarious. It's hilarious. And it's a Western supposedly way back before we had airplanes or cars. But guess what you see flying over the, over the mountains? You see an airplane. And they were like, oh, there's an airplane. Mel Brooks said, no, leave it in. Leave it in. It'll be funny. Right? And it was funny. It was hilarious. Like, oh, look at that plane. These guys are killing me. Right? It's just, it's just anachronistically applied. It could not be there. Plane couldn't be there in that time. Well, the way some of the words are used doesn't apply. It's inaccurate. The only way you know that is if you get into the original language, the language and the land and the worldview of the people living it, to whom was being spoken. Look, if you miss that, what happens is over the course of generations, of misunderstandings of a passage of Scripture, the common knowledge of the Scripture, and it's true in actual meaning, it's totally lost. Right? Because what are we doing now? I'm going back now, and I'm trying to dig like a dog in hard ground, you know, and my, my claws are getting a little bloody, and I'm, I'm digging, 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 trying to get down to the truth. And i got to dig past a lot of hard ground, a lot of rocky soil, a lot of thorns, because people believe the way they believe, and you know what they don't want to do when they believe a certain way? Change their beliefs. They don't want to change their beliefs. Nobody does. One such instance is in this passage, the passage I read. The word used in the Greek, it's, it's the Greek word telos. Telos. In this case, telos is translated as fulfill or end in the sense of termination. 
the logical thought based on this man's translation is that by Yeshua's coming, the law is terminated, over, no longer relevant, applicable for this time only. Now, one of my professors, I mentioned him before, Dr. Skip Moen, he wrote the following uh, in one of his posts on today's word. Um, I think it was in 2008, February of 2008, and it's called, you go to skipmoen.com, S-K-I-P-M-O-E-N.com. Make a donation while you're there. And if you type in the search bar, Basic Arithmetic, that's the name of this, Basic Arithmetic. He titled this post, Basic Arithmetic, Deuteronomy 4.2. You shall not add to the word which I am commanding you, nor take away from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I commanded you. Sounds like arithmetic to me. Add or take away. Do you think that God is serious when he says we're not to add or subtract? We think. Anything. We're not to add or subtract anything from his commandments. Nothing at all. You think he's serious? Anybody? Who in here does not think God was serious? Okay, so we have no hands. And I'm looking out in the radio land. Welcome to upstate New York. Good to have you, brother. Good to have you. So the Hebrew word for add is yasaf. It is used to describe increasing, repeating, continuing, and enhancing action. So Israel's sins are piled one on another, and her guilt is increased. The Lord added sons to Jacob and Rachel. Solomon increased the tax burden on the people. It's pretty easy to understand the meaning of Yasaf. Since that is the case, I wonder why we don't seem to pay any attention to it. Do we add to God's commandments? These are Dr. Moen's words. Do we add to God's commandments? Well, we might start by asking if we increase or enhance the requirements. For example, a society that expects and awards massive punitive damages certainly adds to God's civil justice because that's not what's commanded. We do the same thing in church. We adding to the tradition of church governance and requirements. We make stuff up. But that pushes us then into the direction of legalism. Just think about all the behavioral rules that govern your life. How many of them are really grounded in scripture? How many of them are extensions? or additions. Does God command you to go to church every Sunday? Does he obligate you to give the tithe to the local church? Does he compel you to wear specific clothing, speak with particular phrases, or use certain prayers? Does he regulate your social contracts, contacts, or your choice of career? We really need to know. These are things that we really need to know. Boy, we need to know them so bad. That's not in there. I made, I add that. We really need to know, but my guess is that most of us have never looked closely to see what God says and what God doesn't say. On the other hand, God is just as concerned about taking away from his word. Here the Hebrew, a verb that means to diminish, to reduce, to remove, and cut short. We're much better at subtraction than we are at addition. That's because reducing and diminishing God's word doesn't require so much investigation. All we have to do is do what we want. For example, God commands us to honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. That's hard to get around, isn't it? It says honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. Pretty black and white. When do we decide as Christians that God didn't really mean what he said? Do you suppose that happened when it became inconvenient? I'm just asking questions here that the good doctor asked, Dr. Moen, from skipmoen.com. After all, do we really think God actually cares what we do after church on Sunday? If we don't understand what God means, subtraction is pretty easy. Of course, the great Christian excuse is this. These laws were only for the Jews. These laws were only 
for the Jews. We have so saturated our theology with grace and forgiveness that has become the perfect excuse to do do whatever seems morally correct. So in spite of the fact that God says this of the unleavened bread is to be kept forever, I rather doubt that any contemporary Christian has ever participated, nor even imagines he or she ever will. There's something wrong here. God's not interested in moral correctness. He's interested in obedience. Living according to God's word is dangerous. It's dangerous. Remember last week I said that. I said this is dangerous business, folks. This is not Dr. Moen. This is me. This is dangerous business. When we start really digging in to what it really says, we're in dangerous territory. Back to Dr. Moen. It's dangerous because it demands a razor-sharp understanding of God's freedom in the midst of human structure. God is neither legalistic or antinomian. Rules do not make a relationship with him. Neither do the denial of rules. Neither does the denial of rules. You and I have to walk on the edge of the blade if we're going to serve our master according to his desires. If you're not sure about adding or subtracting, maybe you should get back to the first grade and start over. It's not what's right that matters. It's what he requires. Okay, time for a little quiz here. Of what faith and culture did Yeshua self-identify? Jeopardy jingle here. Jewish, right? He he didn't have to think that up. Why? Because he was born in a Jewish community to Jewish parents. He observed Jewish tradition. All the observances were, were Jewish in origin. So I'll, this is, he was and he always will be a Jew. That's free of charge, no cost. But you guys got it right, so you win whatever it is, the big prizes we have this week. Not a red truck, not this week. Yeshua, though, was born of a Jewish version. Who was born of a Jew? Yeshua lived as a Jew in Hebrew culture, and he lived Torah. Yeshua, as a Jew, perfectly embodied and fulfilled Torah during his life. Even in death, the fully Jewish Yeshua lived Torah, and by living Torah as the perfect Jew, fulfilled Torah perfectly. Now, Matthew 5, 17 through 21, they have a lot of interesting contributions. One, one great thing for you to get is the Jewish New Testament commentary. Don't think that I have come to abolish the Torah or the prophets. I have come not to abolish but to complete, to make their meaning full. The Hebrew word Torah literally means teaching or doctrine. It's rendered both the Septuagint and the New Testament by the Greek word nomos, which means law. You see how, look, they can try to translate from the Hebrew, but eh, it ain't right. Teaching or doctrine is not law. But they use the word nomos to be law. And we say, don't be legalistic. That's referencing what? Legal is based on law. Greek has had a more direct and quite perverse influence on English and other modern languages than Hebrew has. And this is why most languages, uh, one speaks of the law of Moses in most languages, one speaks of the law of Moses rather than the teaching of Moses, right? This is, we're, we're referencing the law of Moses here. But we don't use the word the teaching of Moses. It's also part of the reason why the Torah has mistakenly come to be thought of by Christians as legalistic in character. There's more information on that Romans 3.20 and Galatians 3.23. Romans 3.20, just for fun. For in his sight no one alive will be considered righteous on the ground of legalistic observance of Torah commands. Because what Torah really does is show people 
how sinful they are. Galatians 3.23, also in the complete Jewish Bible, Now before the time for this trusting faithfulness came, we were imprisoned in subjection to the system which results from perverting the Torah into legalism, kept under guard until this yet-to-come trusting faithfulness would be revealed. Now, in Judaism, the Torah can mean multiple things. You remember what I said? In, in Hebrew, the land, the culture, the language, the people, the society, idiomatically, they, different things can mean different things at different times in different ways. So what could Torah mean in Hebrew? In Judaism, it could mean this, Chumash, Chumash, uh, the Pentateuch, the five books of Moses, or that plus the prophets and the writings and the Tanakh, known by Christians as the Old Testament, or that plus the oral Torah, which includes the Talmud and other legal materials, or that plus the religious instruction from the rabbis, including ethical and agadic, which is homiletical materials. Here it means the first of these, since the prophets are mentioned separately. The prophets, or the word prophets, are capitalized. This refers to the second of the three main parts of the Tanakh. When the Tanakh prophets as persons are referred to, the word is not capitalized. Prophet in the singular is never capitalized. By mentioning both the Torah and the prophets, Yeshua is saying that he has not come to modify or replace God's word, the Tanakh. See, it's, it's such a small thing, isn't it? That's such a small thing, just how it's presented. Wow, here's the difference here. It's a small difference. It's a little thing. Little things don't mean a lot. They mean everything. To complete. The Greek word for to complete is prerusai. Prerusai. Literally, to fill. The usual rendering here, however, is to fulfill replacement theology. Folks, one of the, one of the most deadly things we've ever faced as a church, as a Christian church in this country, and really around the world, is replacement theology. Cut it simply, and to save time, because we're, we're running short on time, replacement theology, which it, it wrongly teaches that the church has replaced the Jews as God's people. That's, there's more to it than that, but there's, that's the gist of it to most Christians. The church has replaced uh, the Jews as God's people. We said, hey, they didn't do it right. They messed up. So guess what? Now what's going to happen is the church is now, and the Jews, you guys had your chance, but you messed up. You killed the Savior. And oh, by the way, uh, you didn't do what you're supposed to do, so now we are taking your place in your covenant, right? Everybody get that? Everybody's on the same page. Right, yeah, we, we don't agree with that. The, we don't agree with that. No, I agree with it. I'm being silly here. The fact of the matter is, is many churches all across the country, in fact, I would even say most churches all across the country, they see this and they go, well, replacement theology, I mean, you call it that, but we just call it being right. Right? Because you Jews did the wrong stuff and, and you, you killed the Savior. Did you read that? Did you read any of Scripture? You killed the Savior? Remember that? How that was? So here's the thing. Those folks understand this verse wrongly in two ways. First, Yeshua's fulfilling the Torah is thought to mean that it is unnecessary for people to fulfill it now. But there's no logic to that proposition that Yeshua's obeying the Torah does away with our need to obey it. None whatsoever. In fact, Shaul or Paul whose object in this letter to the Romans is to foster the obedience that comes from trusting in Yeshua. Teaching teaches that such trusting does not abolish Torah, but confirms it. Romans 1, 5, and 6. Through him we receive grace, and we're given the work of being an emissary on his behalf, promoting trust-grounded obedience among the Gentiles. 
including you who have been called by Yeshua, the Messiah. Romans 3, 27 and 31 through 31. So what room is left for boasting? None at all. What kind of Torah excludes it? One that has to do with legalistic observation of rules? No. Rather, a Torah has to do with trusting. Therefore, we hold the view that a person comes to be considered righteous by God on the grounds of trusting, which has nothing to do with the legalistic observance of Torah commands. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Isn't he also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, he is indeed the God of the Gentiles, because as you will admit, God is one. Therefore, he will consider righteous the circumcised on the ground of trusting and the uncircumcised through that same trusting. Does it follow that we abolish Torah by this trusting? Heaven forbid. On the contrary, we confirm Torah. Second, here's the other way to get it wrong. With identical lack of logic, Yeshua's fulfilling the prophets imply that no prophecies from the Tanakh remain for the Jews. Wow, I would not want to be in their shoes. But the Hebrew Bible's promises to the Jews, they're never abolished in the name of being fulfilled in Yeshua. Rather, fulfillment in Yeshua is an added assurance that everything God has promised the Jews will yet come to pass. 2 Corinthians 1.20, for however many promises God has made, they all find their yes in connection with him. That is why it is through him that we say amen when we give glory to God. Thank God for that. In order to truly understand what we are promised and what it really means to be a follower of the way, all the way to glory. Man, it doesn't mean anything to be a follower of the way, a little bit of the way. It doesn't mean to be a follower of the way until times get tough or the journey gets difficult or rocky. It doesn't mean to be a follower, to be a good follower of the way we follow until, oh, wait, that's inconvenient, that thing I have to do. I don't want to have to do that means follower of the way all the way to glory, to heaven. We must first and always strive to understand the Scriptures from a perspective of Torah and Tanakh. We must seek the truth and full understanding of what is expected of us. That is a lot more difficult than simply reimagining the full contextual meaning of Scripture. Not only as it applies to us, but as it applies to anything under the sun. We cannot, by commandment, abolish or redefine the things we don't understand, or that we don't want to live by, including Torah. Is it easy? No, not at all easy, which is why we seek to live in community, seeking to help each other in the journey, right? Wes and I talk about these things all the time, and different friends of mine who observe Torah, I have good friends, uh, several that are over in Israel right now, and they, they're Torah observant followers of the way, and they say, you still eating crab? Right? They don't do that to poke fun at me or to make to lower me down or say, you know, you you suck as a uh, observant follower of the way. They do it because they love me. Wes does it because he thinks I suck. But no, but I mean, you know, that's how we do. We help each other through our obedience. We say, well, I'm working on that. That's something I'm working on. We help each other in this journey because that's what we're supposed to do. And sometimes living in community, each other. Helping each other is also more challenging than we realize. What do I mean by that? I only have a couple minutes left, so I'll, I'll, be, I'll be quick with it. You know, for whatever reason, in churches all across America right now, we are doing nothing more than measuring. 
We measure. We measure. We look around and we measure. We, we evaluate. We determine. We say, hmm, look at that person over there just came in. That long hair. I hope that's, I'm seeing him or her from the back, but I sure hope it's a girl. And they stand up and they've got a full beard. You're really hoping now it's a guy. You know, or different things. You see different people being a certain way, doing a certain way. You, you see them, you see them using maybe, maybe their first time in church ever. And you're privileged to be there the first day they walk into the church. And do you walk up to them and go, hey, buddy, you really missed the mark here. Man, we're, we're, we're observant here. We observe Christian rules and regulations, right? So you're all up in here with your hair all long and your pants all short. And I don't know, you're wearing sandals and shorts. I buy, by the way, for the radio audience, I'm wearing sandals and shorts and a surf shirt. So you're doing all these things. I mean, don't you know what kind of place it is? Well, that person, instead of saying, no, I don't. This is my first time. Heard a lot of stories about what it was like inside a church. But this is my first time in here. So then what do we say if we're privileged to be the first one there? Oh, buddy, man, you're going to have fun. This is cool. We have great music. Might not be exactly what you're accustomed to, but you know what? We have great music. And, uh, you know, hopefully it's growing if it's not your thing. But we have a lot of cool stuff to do here. We have a great men's group. I noticed you're a man when you turned around. The beard, you're a man, right? You're not in transition or anything. We're not that kind of church. But so... So what I'm saying to you is, is that person comes in, they're, they're either pushed back by our fulfilling, our, our objective to fulfill in our own lives, in the lives of the community, or they're embraced by the love of Christ who comes through us. That's the other commandment. We're to be the hands and feet of Christ. Somebody walks into our church, we're that privileged to be the first. Can you imagine? It's like being the first customer. Right? You have a business, everybody saves their first dollar they make, right? Picture nowadays, oh, you're our first customer, right? Click, that's going to be on social media. They're like, oh, hold on, I'm wanted by the law, don't put that on there. You know? I'm a Democrat. It's obviously a Republican place, I see your flag, I'm not offended. So, you know, so that's what we do, right? Being the first is a real big deal. Hey, who in here has been in the corporate environment you've heard early adopter? Can you point just you i don't mind your point who in the room do you think is an early adopter in this room oh yeah oh guilty as charged i am an early adopter you name it new gun comes out i want it new knife comes out i want it new bible oh i got it bad for a bible you know look new jerry jerry told me about it and now i had it in three minutes you know i'm an early adopter man i want it now you know, I, let's see what this new thing can do. So, so here's the thing. I'm an early adopter, but you know what? This person, these people that come around us, they're not early adopters always. Do you think you're an early adopter? When I first started preaching this stuff, either one of you two, when I first started right? You're shaking your head no for the radio audience. No, I thought this dude was nuts. But out of pity, they kept coming and listening to me preach. This poor guy, he's got a brain injury. Were my teeth fixed? No, I had my. I didn't have my braces. I had them on by then, but I, they weren't fixed. So yeah, he saw a snaggletooth. He could eat a corn on the cob through a picket fence. I feel bad for the guy. I'm gonna keep coming, 
right? And you did, and little by little, you learn, and we all learn together, right? I learn things. People correct me. People look. I love it when people whip out their Bibles, and I read a verse. Sometimes, I don't know if you know, all across America, if you invite me to come preach at your church, guess what? I'm going to say a scripture incorrectly. Guess why? On purpose. I'm going to say it on purpose because I want you to check for yourself. That's what we do with each other in this community, in this awesome band of folks that we have gathered here. I say how awesome it is. You guys don't think it, but you ought to listen to some of my speeches on the website. You ought to, you ought to look on the website and see uh, a, lot of the, uh, a lot of the speeches I speak about this group right here. What a special group. And listen, folks, we really appreciate you joining us today. We really appreciate you joining us online. Um, also, chat is a cool thing. We have some great people in chat. Always, always love to see the back and forth that goes on there. There's some really smart people there. But listen, this week, I have a charge for you this week. This is, this is just something I would encourage you to do. Stop measuring everyone else. And really, to some degree, stop measuring yourself by subtraction or addition at living obedient to God. And try it. Maybe there's one thing. Pick one thing. Don't pick all of them. Pick one thing. That one thing. And work on that. Hey, if you're praying, people, just as we close, pray for my brother Lance. He's in a real fight. He's in a real fight. Things didn't go well, and they're going downhill fast. So uh, pray for him, uh, that, that God would touch him in, in all ways that you can possibly imagine. And uh, he really he needs it, and he needs it fast. So God bless you all. Thank you so much for joining us. Radio audience, don't forget to tell your friends and share it on social media if you're on social media. Join me at the Ninja Pastor on Twitter backslash SM Greener and uh, go to drshawngreener.com and sign up there. We'd love to have you. Thank you and God bless. Join us on Wednesday. Join us next time for Sundays with Dr. Sean. And please follow the show and the Collision of Faith and Politics radio show during the week at www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash the Ninja Pastor. And follow Dr. Sean on Twitter at the Ninja Pastor and on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash God in Country Radio. And check out all the free messages, archive shows, and buy Dr. Sean's critically acclaimed book, Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America, at www.drshawngreener.com. Join us during the week. And in the meantime, Dr. Sean will be fighting for you and for this great country. Thank you for joining us in this fight. <laughs>